You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going on, everybody? Jared Sandler here welcoming you into episode 59 of the Just a Sec Conversation. Hope everybody is doing well. If you're not doing well, Hoping for better days ahead. Episode 57 features a good buddy of mine. We met in second grade. I knew him then as Sammy. I still think of him as Sammy, but you might know him uh, more as Sam. Sam Acho, NFL player uh, who grew up in Dallas, went to St. Mark's, then went to the University of Texas, and has played in the NFL for around a decade. But more importantly, he's someone who lives a life committed to serving others. And hopefully this conversation illuminates just that. The work he does off the field is unbelievable. It's powerful. It's inspiring. And he's also now an author, sharing some of the lessons he's learned, the challenges he's overcome, how he's become the person he is today through his new book, Let the World See You. I've ordered my copy and I really encourage you to order yours, samachobook.com. We didn't do this to just plug the book. I, I feel so strongly about the messages that he shares. I, I, I can't speak highly enough uh, of the guy that I knew back in 1996 as Sammy Acho, who so many people in football and outside of football know as Sam Acho or know as the person who busts his tail to make their lives better. And you're going to hear some of those stories in this conversation. Again, as always, I'd really appreciate if you would subscribe, uh, like, comment, share the link. And I really, really would love for you to share this particular conversation. As sports fans, if that's what you are, we watch athletes, uh, we cheer for athletes, we have our favorites, you know, we, we have the rivalries. Off the field, though, there's some amazing individuals who no matter how high of a level they reach athletically, what they do outside of the athletic arena far exceeds what they accomplish inside. And Sammy is one of those people. Without further ado, here you go. Episode 59 of the Justice Set Conversation with a person I'm very proud to say is a good friend of mine, Sammy Acho. Sam, you are now an author, uh, and I'm super excited. Let the world see you. This is uh, this is maybe the first of many, or, or maybe the first of of one. I guess uh, you know we'll we'll find out in the future. But what inspired you to write this book, and and what can you tell us about uh, I guess this journey for you? Yeah, well, for me, and first of all, it's so good being on with you, Jerry. We were just talking offline how how much we go back, and so it's good to reconnect. But for me, this book was really birthed out of just this idea of what it means to really be seen and to be known as a professional athlete. I played, I played in the NFL for almost a decade, nine years. And there's so much pressure that we as pro athletes put on ourselves to perform. And somewhere along the line, this isn't, this isn't just for athletes. It also goes for people in the business sector or uh, in the faith realm, whatever parents, we put pressure on ourselves and we, for whatever reason, I tied my performance to my value. And so when I played well, I felt like I was loved more. When I didn't play well, I felt like I wasn't loved as much. And so this book was really a journey of saying, man, what it really means to be seen and to be known, but also 
most important piece of it is to be loved, right? To be seen, known, and loved for who you are uh, outside of the game. Did you have any outside inspiration, someone who encouraged you to, to go down this path or, or maybe an author who gave you some guidance in, in pursuing this? What was the process like of, of creating this, uh, this book? Yeah, well, for me, it started about two years ago. I was, it was a week before training camp. I just signed a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. I finally made it. I've been on a minimum contracts, minimum salaries my whole career. Finally, it's on this multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. I was, I mean, it was on the outside, things are going great. But on the inside, for whatever reason, I was, I seemed like I was crumbling. I didn't, I wasn't like I was, I wasn't happy. And I remember sitting down with a friend a week before we're getting ready to start training camp. And I'm just saying, man, my marriage isn't going well. My relationship with my kids is struggling. I don't know what's going on. I said, I just can't, I just need the season to start. Once the season starts, then I'll be, I'll be ready to go. And he looked at me and he said, man, if that's how you are right now, he said, I'm, I'm afraid of what happens when football ends, when you retire. And I look at him and I'm at this point, like, it's about, like things were just struggling in my life. I started crying, like in tears. And he said, he said two things. One, he said, hey, it's good to see you, right, as I started to cry, the, the real you. It's good to see you. I always thought you were this perfect, had it all together, but it's good to see the real you. And he said, hey, and hey, you never know. Maybe God is writing a book in your life, and you may only be on chapter two. So he said that, and I didn't know what he was talking about. He actually recommended that I started talking to a therapist, a counselor, so I did. Uh, I actually met with this therapist the week before training camp. Uh, the, the day we reported to training camp, that morning I'm sitting with a counselor, and then that night we had to report to training camp. And I was up sitting with this, this counselor who asked me a question. He says, Sam, I've got a question for you. What do you do when you get angry? And I look at him and I say, well, I, I don't get angry. He says, come on, man. Just, you know, it's, it's me and you here. What do you do when you get angry? And I respond again. I said, I don't get angry. He looks at me again. He says, Sam, everybody gets angry. What do you do? When you get angry. And I just started to break down and cry. Right, we're talking about this journey of how this book came about. I started to break down and cry. And he looked at me, similar to what my friend had said the week before, and he said, it's nice to see you, Sam. And that journey and that story would continue not only that day, but the next day at training camp. I'm, I'm actually, we just finished our conditioning test and, back in the locker room and everybody finished and most guys we went to go get some food before our meetings. I was just sitting down in my chair, just thinking about just the weight I'd been carrying. One of my teammates walked in a guy named Mick Williams plays for the Detroit lions. Now he says, they say, Sam, are you good? And usually I'd say, yeah, I'm fine. Or I'm tired. Right. There's a lot going on. And usually I'd make up something to, to disguise my feelings. And I looked at him this time. I said, actually, I'm not doing good. And he said, Sam, you got to let it out. Whatever's going on inside of you, you have to let it out. And so once again, I found myself crying again and now in front of my teammates, right? And so this, and he looks at me and he says, it's good to see you. He said, it's nice to see you. And so this book is really about me not only going on a, a journey of, right, therapy and, you know, tears, but really about what it means for anybody to be seen. So many of us, we carry this weight uh, trying to perform or what, maybe we're scared of showing people who we really are, or things that we like or what we don't like. And this book says, no, like, when you're you, God gets the glory. When you're you, the people around you benefit. When you're you, the world around you thrives. 
when you're you. So you can pretend all you want. That might get you in, in, in certain doors, but being you will open up doors you never thought you could get into. I, first of all, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, and and I'm, I'm super excited to read the book. I, you know, you, you mentioned we go way back. I've known you, I think, since second grade, right? Uh, yeah. And we went to school together for a little bit and then ended up going to uh, schools that would cross paths oftentimes in, you know, in, in the sports realm. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, I was joking with you that, you know, when I first met you, you were so much taller than me. And, and anyone who knows me knows that, you know, I'm not tall. I'm I'm five seven. But, uh, you know, I was like, oh, like, you know, so I was so intrigued by this guy, this new kid who is so tall. And but I, I'll never forget. And I, I intentionally did not tell you this when uh, we were just speaking before we started recording. Uh, I, I don't think I was fully mature enough to really grasp it when this happened in second grade, but I knew that there was something kind of special about this that always, I, it's, I've never lost sight of this. You, we were all hanging out on the playground and one of our classmates, friends, what have you, I mean, it's second grade. Everyone kind of likes everyone. Uh, didn't we're playing kickball and he he kicked and missed and uh you know everyone laughed and that that's natural but like i i kept making fun of him uh and definitely out of insecurity uh and in second grade you later that day kind of pulled me aside or you you know you, you maybe were giving me the cold shoulder or, or something and you're like hey what you said to him that wasn't very nice you shouldn't do that and I've never, I, I, for whatever reason, like I've never forgotten that or forget, yeah, forgotten about that. And, and I feel like that's a, a, in a very much of a microcosm, like you, you, I feel like have always treated others so well. And I guess I'm curious if you feel like at times through this realization and, and this journey that led to this book and, and the conversations that you spent so much time treating everyone else like kings and queens that did you feel like maybe at times you didn't treat yourself the way that you needed to be treated? I don't mean to make a reach here, but is that, is that something that ever crossed your mind? Without a doubt, without a doubt. And it's funny. I don't remember that specific incident that it was kickball, but I do remember that cold shoulder piece that you talked about. I distinctly remember that. Cause we, I mean, we were like inseparable, right? Yeah. I mean, we were, you know, we were, you know, talking about the difference we'd be on, it was like people talk about Robin Big, right? Like, sports, <laughs> like we we had our way. Cause I was a, I was like, I was a big kid. I was, you know, I was a large individual, and I just remember seeing that and being there's something in me that said that's not right. But it's funny because I do that with others, but I don't even do, I don't even give myself that that grace oftentimes to the point where oftentimes I'll, I'll I'll talk with you know this therapist and he'll always leave when we leave the conversation he'll say hey Sam be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. So often I would beat myself up for little things, whether it's a mistake on the field or maybe it's something in the classroom or even uh, interpersonally that I'm going through. I'll beat myself up and won't give myself the same grace that I would extend to others. And so you hit the nail on the head, Jared, and you're talking about, I mean, even as you started telling that story, I'm, I started to tear up because I'm, I'm remembering, man, this is who I really am. Like, I'm a guy who sees and who feels and who loves and who cares. 
yet for whatever reason, I don't always extend that to myself. And so people listening, I mean, my, my goal, my ask, my prayer would that would be that you would extend that same grace that you maybe you give to others, that you would extend it to yourself. And this is what I talk about all throughout the book. It's all intertwined in the book. And if you want to learn more, I know we talked about it, but you can go to samachobook.com, S-A-M-A-C-H-O book.com. I know it's in the link as well, but and you could pre-order the copy and you can get that. But I talk about this idea of being you isn't only for others, it's also for you. So even that that grace that I extend to others, I need to extend that same grace to myself as well, whether it comes to uncertainty in life or relationship or in sport, we need to be kind to ourselves. I'm curious, you know, one of the things that we have in common is that our families are not from America. Uh, my family's from South Africa. Your family is uh, is Nigerian. And, and and when did they? When did your family move to America? My parents moved to America a couple years before I was born. They moved in uh, in the early '80s. Came to Virginia. My sister was born there. Then they moved to Texas, and my other sister was born in Texas, in Dallas, and I was born in Dallas as well. Okay, I'm I'm totally shot in the dark. I might be totally missing the target here. Was your mom or dad involved in medicine in some capacity, nurse, doctor? Am I making that up? No, you're right. So my mom is a my mom is a DNP, a doctor and nurse practitioner. And Got my it. dad has his PhD in psychology, so we do medical mission trips to Nigeria all the time. Okay, I, I, I'm curious how how were you influenced by your upbringing from like a, a Nigerian cultural standpoint? Uh, what you know? What are the things that that you look back on that maybe it was unique to you and your family not being a, a family of, you know, four generations going back to America, but, but having that unique, uh, that unique element where, Hey, you know, my parents aren't, aren't from here. My upbringing, Jared, maybe similar to yours, your parents being from South Africa, it was very different than when people talk when people talk about the American ideals. So for me growing up, family, education, and faith were the only things. It wasn't going over to friends' houses and going to parties and going to homecomings. It was family. Because back in Nigeria, all my family had was their family. In addition to that, it was also education. The reason my, my, my parents came to America, my dad came to go to school. And so education, we knew, was always the way out. So it was, that's why we, you know, we talk about the schools we went to, it was strong academically and A's, A's and B's at the minimum, no C's, definitely no D's were accepted in our household to the point where I remember getting a, I think I got a D on one assignment, a science assignment. And my parents saw it and they were, I remember being a junior or so uh, in, in, in high school, maybe it was a C minus or something. Already getting scholarships to schools to go play football in college. I went to the university of Texas and full rise from every school you could imagine. My dad saw that C minus or whatever it was and said, if I see another grade like this, I'm taking you out of football. <laughs> and you're laughing because you probably experienced it. Well, and, right? and I believe it. That's and, and I also know how rare that grade probably was for you. Right, right. So education was huge. And also faith. Like our faith is everything. My dad's a pastor. Um, but more than that, we every morning we're, we, we pray, we'll sing, right? We're we're followers of Jesus. So we're like, we're worshiping God, you know, and, and going to church and the whole deal. And, and so for us, those, that's a lot of that is the foundation of how we grew up. Even the foods were different that the stuff we ate, 
was different. We would eat like goat meat and oxtail and all these different kinds of stuff that my, my friends would say, what are you eating? And so that's, that's how it was. Well, you mentioned your faith. That's something that, you know, you've never hidden the importance of your faith and, and everyone goes about carrying out their faith and developing their faith differently. And I think it's important, uh, you know, that people are hopefully accepting of, of those differences. But I, I do see people in, in the athletic world that, you know, when the cameras are on, their faith is a big thing. And when their cameras are off, it's not. Uh, and with you, just in, in, in knowing you and from afar and talking to people, that's a 24-hour thing for you. Like, this is, this is not fake. This is real. This is who you are. Your faith is a huge part of you and your family uh, in the best of ways. And I'm curious, what was that something from the start? I mean, you, you mentioned that like a part of your upbringing, the faith was a big part, but did you, did you embrace it from day one? Did you resist it? Cause I know for me, uh, my faith has grown stronger as I've gotten older. And it was something that I frankly, probably when we were, you know, going to school together, it was something that I resisted a little bit. Um, you know, I looked at it as a, an inconvenience, whereas now as I've grown up, I, I, I recognize the significance of it. What was that journey like for you? For me, it wasn't necessarily that I would resist. You know, what, obviously we were in church on Sundays and Wednesday nights, and we would pray in the mornings and sing and all these things. I didn't resist it, but I also didn't fully embrace it. I remember being a, a senior in high school and feeling like, okay, I'm a Christian, but what does that even really mean? Is it actually, do I, do I actually live it out? Do I actually, am, am I the guy like you talked about earlier who just does it on Sundays or on Friday nights before a game in high school? And so for me, it wasn't really until college that I really started to embrace my faith in, in Jesus, especially at that time, because now I'm at, a, at the University of Texas, the number one party school. You're on your own. You're free. You can do whatever you want. I remember running, running into a teammate of mine and I was going on the elevator, getting ready to get on the elevator in our dorm in Jester Hall, and I saw him reading his Bible, reading his Bible. And I was, remember just being really intrigued and asking him, hey, what are you reading? Because I knew I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be that bold. And he said, hey, man, let's, let's do this thing together. And so he took me under his wing. His name was Trevor Walker. He was a backup quarterback. And we started saying, let's be intentional about walking out our faith, not just on Saturdays before a game or, 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 or after a game, but let's do it daily. So we would actually we would do what we had, like, I forgot how we did it, but we would do, like, parties, but they would be, like, clean parties, if you will, right? We would invite guys to church on Sundays after games. We would do Bible studies. Um, and also, and not, I'm not sitting here saying that we were perfect, right? No, don't hear that. We, I, 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 know, I know I was far from it. But it was something about being intentional with our teammates. We weren't going to be one person in the locker room and a different person outside of the locker room. That's what I really remember. Um, about my when my faith became my own. All right, so I want to ask you about growing up with uh, your brother Emmanuel. Uh, first of all, to me, you guys are still. I, I, I I'm still like I got to get it out like Sammy and Manny. Like I, right, when, right. When, when did you when did you go from Sammy to Sam? Like was it when you went to college? Were high school? Like 100%. when were you Sam? There was a specific. So uh, Jared. So anybody. So if whenever I'm in Dallas and I ever hear someone call me Sammy. I know they knew me from my from my <laughs> growing up days, from my St. Mark's days. I know it. It's like, yeah. Sam, oh, Sam Yacho, I remember graduating high school, getting ready to go to college, and, and we had this orientation, maybe for the football team or so, and they said, man, 
you could be whoever you want. Like once you're, once you leave high school, maybe it was leaving high school, maybe our counselor, somebody said, no one's going to know who you were back in high school. And right now we're talking about transition. Since no one's going to know who you are. So you can be whoever you want. If you had a bad reputation in high school, you don't have to have that follow you to college. Same thing in business. You had a bad rap in one company. You don't have to have it follow you to the other one or from team to team. And so I remember saying, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to have this new identity, if you will. And so no longer was I Sammy Acho or did I say my full name is, my name is Samuel. My middle name is Onyedi Kachi. That's owed to our Nigerian culture. My last name is Acho. So no longer was I Sammy. Um, or even in my house, it was Onyedi. I wasn't Onyedi, it was Sam. So everywhere I would go, I would sign Sam, Sam Acho. And so my first year in college, that's when I really said, this is going to be who I am, my identity. In the Bible, there's so much talk about people changing names, even uh, from Sarai to Sarah, right? Or from uh, Abram to Abraham, all these different things. Like there's so much power in a name. And so even from Saul, uh, Saul to Paul, right? There's so, many, so much power in a name. So for me, I wasn't Sammy anymore. I was Sam. And even it was funny, I gave myself that name, if you will, but my teammates gave me a different name. They called me, talk about my brother and I, right, Manny, Emmanuel. Um, they called me Sacho in college. <laughs> and the re- and, and, and same thing like in high school. If I hear anybody call me Sacho, I know they know me from my time in college. And the reason they called me Sacho is that when I got to school, I played one year by myself the next year my brother came and saw on the back of our jerseys no longer was it just an acho on the back it was an s dot acho for emmanuel it was e dot acho so for me people saw that it said s dot acho on my jersey oh sacho or or some people, some people would even go as far as to say Sach. so i know people, there are certain groups i hear that name and so so it was cool to get these new identities it was almost a little bit distinct from my brother but it also always tied us together it's funny because i from 11 to say 16 when I would play travel baseball that that group they knew me as Yoshi like the the Mario character and it's a a a crazy story as to how it all got to that but like I would play with guys and they would sometimes forget my name was Jared and if anyone were to ever call me Yoshi like I it is from a such a specific time in my life it's funny like how those things kind of evolve anyway your brother so it was always so cool. You guys were one, one year apart. Uh, and you know, this, you know, my brothers are a lot older and, I, and I'm incredibly close with my brothers, but it's, it's a different dynamic. What was it like growing up with Emmanuel? And, and you know, the fact that you guys were both very athletically inclined and uh, you know, maybe a, a, a healthy rivalry or, or competitiveness. Like what, what was that dynamic like for you guys? Well, it was awesome. We didn't realize people, maybe they, understand this maybe they don't we didn't realize we were athletically inclined we we went to st mark's so st mark's wasn't this it wasn't any kind of football powerhouse so yes we were some of the you know better athletes at st mark's a lot of times we were on varsity even though my brother's still mad they put him on jv basketball one year (laughs) you know so he's still he's still mad at the entire institution because of that they also didn't give him the athlete of the year award which i still got some bones to pick uh, for that but who, who got it that year do you remember ben Grizz, the guy named ben yeah, Grizz. he I was a wrestler ben, yeah. you know ben yeah he's yeah. a wrestler and, he, baseball. and he was a, yeah baseball as well solid athlete but my brother's like he only plays two sports and i play three <laughs> and i'm going so still a little bit upset I'm, I'm putting his business out there now but yeah it was fun because we we were on almost every team together from growing up we played on our bat from second grade first grade we played on the same soccer team the same basketball team even we played baseball for a year, the same baseball team growing up. Then we went to the same school. 
So going to high school, we played on the same did track and field together, soccer, basketball, not soccer, soccer, basketball, and football all together. And then even in college, we played together at Texas. And then even professionally, though we were on different teams, we played for the Eagles, I played for the, the Cardinals and the Bears, we crossed paths. So the coolest part for me is now seeing him get his own identity, which he's always had, but just seeing it shine and flourish, it, it's, it's really a joy to watch. Yeah, so I, I guess since you brought that up, I you're someone who's – impact in this world far exceeds the football field. And, and we, you know, we, we've already talked about the book. I want to talk about some of the other things that you've uh, taken part in or, or championed here in a second. Uh, but your brother has really stepped up, I think, in a big way uh, over the last several months with a lot of the social issues that have come to the forefront and, and racial injustice. And I'm just curious, you know, from afar, like how proud – have you been of, of the way he's used his voice uh, and using his platform and social media to, to make a difference? Cause he's had a platform uh, talking football and he's been so good at that for ESPN and now with Fox, but you know, football is football. It's, it's great. We love it. Uh, you know, we, we, some people throw remote controllers when their team doesn't score and there's so much passion and, and euphoria in, in being a fan. But at the end of the day, there are way bigger things in life. And, and the, like when I think of like MVPs of 2020, like your brother comes to mind because of the way he's used his voice. And I'm just curious as someone who's done that and made that impact, what was it like for you to watch him grow into that? For me, it hasn't necessarily been watching it from afar. It's been watching it from up close. I remember his first episode of uncomfortable conversations that he, that he, uh, the TV series, the YouTube series, Instagram series that he does. I remember he was getting ready to, to do that episode and he was going to do it originally with, wasn't going to be by himself. It was going to be with someone else. And that person happened to back out. And he was talking to me about all the kind of just the, the, not the stress, but just how he felt good about it. But everyone else seemed that they didn't know if it was going to work, go over well. And he just had this conversation with me. He said, Sam, we were made for this moment. So thinking about the way we were brought up and, way we got a chance to be around white people and see how they think and be around black people and see how they think and then also even growing up the way we grew up you know our parents are from a from nigeria and you know i mean so we were made for this moment we cannot pass this moment up and we hang up the phone and he posts his episode the next day which i got to take some credit he initially had no music in it and i told him you got to put some little background <laughs> music and so i think i got him a couple extra million views but, but, and now obviously yeah, this is big brother talking, but, but so just to see the way, not only that that's taken off, but it, it hasn't deviated from who he really is. He actually is walking into his purpose. A lot of times people do stuff to pretend or to act like they want to be bigger than they are. This is who Emmanuel is. These conversations, these uncomfortable conversations, the way he talks, the way he dresses, the way he speaks, he's been doing that since he's been 10 years old. He's been that way since, since, since he's been a kid. So it almost goes back to my book, to the book about let the world see you. This is him letting the world see him. Jared, what you're doing right now, this is you letting the world see you. You've been interested in sports and getting to know people. And I mean, that's who you've been since you've been a kid, since second grade. Right. Looking at the social, the, some of the work I've been doing in the community when it comes to social justice. or That's been, I, I've, I've cared for people that for as long as I can remember. And so I, for me, it's been a joy seeing him walk into his purpose. And I know 
there's a lot that, you know, anybody who has a, you know, who, you know, different people have different faiths, but right. Like there's an enemy who would want me to, to be jealous of Emmanuel or not to support him or not to root him on. But really in my heart of hearts, I'm happy for him because what people don't realize that oftentimes he opens up doors for me in football. He was the first one to play in sixth grade. He played football and I didn't play that year. I played the next year and that developed my passion for football. And I started playing even when we got to uh, funny enough, you talk about USC. I, USC was my number one school. I visited USC. I was going to go to USC. The only reason I went to USC to, for that football camp is, is the football camp. I'm not going to tell the story. If you want to hear the story, buy the book. But uh, Emmanuel was the one who wanted us to go to this football camp at USC. This is my younger brother. He said, hey, let's go to this camp. I said, all right, sure. So we pack our bags. My dad comes. We make it a family trip. My sisters come as well. We go to this camp. And that's when I got, for lack of better terms, discovered. Interesting. I didn't know that. A lot of people don't. Okay, and, and, and same with TV. He's doing his TV thing. Now I'm starting to do more TV stuff. Emmanuel has always paved the way for me. And so it'd be foolish of me to try and uh, be jealous or have hate in my heart for him. If anything, I'm cheering him on. What uh, What is something you've learned from him? And what, when, what would you say, if I were to ask him, what's something he's learned from you? Uh, if you could maybe guess that answer. I'm curious, you know, how you would, answer uh, those two prompts if you will what i've learned from emmanuel and it's not this is a phrase i'm borrowing from bruce arians the co- uh, he was my coach in tampa bay and arizona but it's the concept is the same no risk it no biscuit that's what i've learned from emmanuel risk take risks if you don't risk anything you won't get anything i look at what he's done with this uncomfortable conversation it was risky to go and have these uncomfortable conversations Yet now we've seen, I think it's over 50 million views, got to, you know, doing stuff with Oprah, all this stuff, right? You got a book coming out that's called Uncomfortable Conference. I mean, no risk it, no biscuit. And that's not just in, in, in this, it's in sport, in TV, in life. I've learned from him how to take risks. And I think what he's learned from me is the idea of, of, of letting the world see you, of being real. Because he understands he, he, sports psychology, you know, you got to, masters in sports psych he understands how people think and you know portraying you know an image but he also i think he's learned for me the benefit of being real of not pretending of showing people who you really are and the joys that come from that samachobook.com we're gonna have the link everywhere but if uh you know for if you're in front of your computer you're not driving uh samachobook.com to to get the book uh all right so uh, what can you tell me about the the Austin Harvest Food Mart? Uh, I'm I'm really intrigued by the work you've done uh, in the Chicago area with that. I think it's kind of ironic. It's Austin Harvest, and and you spent so much time in Austin. I had to do a double take. I was like, oh man, I thought I thought he was doing this in Chicago, but maybe it was in Austin, Texas. But no, no, it's it's in Chicago. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Yeah, well, I'll tell you this, my friends from Austin were mad at me and said, man, you did this thing in Austin. You didn't tell me about it. I said, Dude, it was, it's in Chicago. The neighborhood is called Austin. It's an Austin neighborhood in Chicago, which I think that's probably why I love it so much, but it's on the West side of Chicago. And it really came out of some of the protests that were going on and the um, looting and the rioting and just the social unrest that we were seeing in America. It came out of me, me crying, being in tears, after a few weeks after George Floyd was killed and I was driving back from Arizona to Chicago and, and 
I remember all that protesting was happening, which was positive, but also the rioting and looting was happening. And so I remember being on a call with some of my friends who do nonprofit work on the West side. And I said, Hey, what do your kids need? What do they need from us? Do they need us to, to, to write a letter to show up at some politician's office? They need us to go and protest with them and march. With them. What do they need from us? Cause I'm ready to do something. And I, and some other athletes that I know we're ready to do something. And my friend, her name is Donita Travis. She started a nonprofit called the by the hand club for kids. She said, Damn, all our kids really need right now is they need some encouragement. Some encouragement. They need somebody to listen to them. And they're already devastated because of COVID. And now this. Now this. They're seeing people who look like them getting killed every single day. Need somebody to listen. And so I remember actually doing a Zoom call a little bit afterwards with the with the, the nonprofit leaders and seeing some of them in tears saying, man, an African-American man, 60, 70 years old, he said, man, I went to war for this country. And now I came back, and it's as if this country has turned its back on me. Another African-American man, a man of, a man of deep faith, he, he said, man, I'm questioning my faith right now. I don't know if it's okay for me to do this, but I'm questioning my faith. God, where are you? And because their neighborhood had been looted and and people were getting killed by the police and by not only the police, by everyday citizens with the Maude Arbery. It was like, what is going on? And I remember being on the zoom call and Donita Travis leader, of this nonprofit, she said, well, Sam, do you have anything you want to say as we close? And I remember just praying and I felt like it was the spirit of God that led me to say these words. And I said, man, what if God was tearing this place down or God was allowing this, this, this place to be torn down so that it could be, built back the way that he wanted to be built. See, what people don't realize about some of these neighborhoods in Chicago, or Chicago specifically, is that Chicago is the most segregated city in the United States, even now. If you talk about redlining, uh, talk about um, things called black code, essentially ways to keep certain people, of, to keep black people kind of in poverty um, or keep them from getting, accumulating wealth. Some of those, those same skeletons have now put on muscle and bone, and now we see segregation, we see um, racism, bias, all these things that are in, in, intertwined in our communities. So as I said, what if God is allowing it to be torn down so we could build it up the way that he wants it to be built up? And so I remember getting off that call, crying a few minutes later, and making some calls to some other pro athletes who I knew and said, hey, what if we could do something? Y'all want to come and just show up and listen. Let's let's listen to these kids. So we did. So I hit up Jason Hayward and Jason Kipnis from the Chicago Cubs, and they showed up. Then Mitch Trubisky and Al Robinson from the Bears, and they showed up. Lucas Giolito from the White Sox told him about it. He was excited about it. Jonathan Taves and Malcolm Subban from the Blackhawks, they showed up. Tyler Lancaster and Austin Carr, both players who play in the NFL, but they went to Northwestern in Chicago, they showed up. And then Max Struess and Ryan Archidiacono from the Bulls told them what we're going to do about just sitting and listening. They showed up. And so we came just three days later, 36 hours later. We sat and we listened to the kids and heard their heart. We sat with them and with police officers and just heard their heart. Some of the stuff we heard was that we, said, we heard that they said, man, it seems like no one cares. There's no hope. Even the officers who were there as well, we sat in listening circles. Officers said, man, like, I don't. My job is to serve and protect. And a lot of my peers, they're forgetting about the serve part. 
you know, I remember just listening to some of these conversations afterwards. We, I got on the bus. We did a, a bus tour with the 10 of the pro athletes that you just, the names you just heard, along with some people from the community. And we took a tour of the west side of Chicago, this Austin neighborhood, to see some of the looting that had taken place. And yes, we saw looting. We saw buildings that had been boarded up. We saw that. But what we also saw was even more telling. We saw, we counted. I asked Jason Hayward, who's an all-star for the Cubs, said, man, how many, how, many, how many liquor stores have you counted in this neighborhood? He said at least 10 on our 30-minute, half-mile bus, bus tour. I said, how many grocery stores have you seen? He said, maybe one. And it's, and it's boarded up. Maybe one. So I said, what if we could do something about this? It's my roundabout way of answering your question. I said, what if we could do something? What if we could buy up one of these liquor stores and turn it into a food mart? We went back and did the research, and we said, wow, there's only this place is considered a food desert. There are two grocery stores and 17 liquor stores in a half-mile radius. It's not fair. It's not right. So we went and we asked the kids. We said, we asked the players, would you want to be involved? They said, yes. We asked the kids, is this something you would even want? We sat down with them the next week and said, would you even want a food mart in your, in your neighborhood? They said, yes. They said, we, we have no way to get healthy food. They said, we said, where do you get your food from? They said, we get our food from McDonald's. And if not McDonald's, we have to go to the gas station to get our food. That's where we get food. We said, okay, what if you want to get healthy food? They said, healthy food? They said, if we want to get something organic, we have to drive 45 minutes to the next city to get something healthy. That has nothing to do with rioting or looting or protesting. That has nothing to do with, that's a human rights issue that we're talking about. And so I, I, I asked Donita, I said, how much would it take if we bought, there was a, there's, a, there's a liquor store right next to there to the By the Hand headquarters. She, said, she, she gave me a, a number, about 500000 Initially, the guy wasn't willing to sell it, but he, you know, 500,000, I guess he had been looted and COVID was happening, so he's willing to sell it. So I got together about, you know, we got about 17, 18 pro athletes together and we raised 500K in a matter of weeks. Raised the money, bought the liquor store, tore it down. And then now, as you started uh, with your question, now Austin Harvest is open, which is a pop-up food mart that has, not only is it is it being run and managed by the kids, in the community, but they're getting fresh food in their community. They're, they're learning how to, they're getting entrepreneurial skills. They're getting their summer jobs, which were canceled and taken away because of COVID. They're getting those as well. So that's what Austin Harvest is as we speak. And we're having conversations saying, hey, is this something you want to be more permanent? It's a, it's a pop-up mart right now. It's open Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, three days a week, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Well, we're having conversations of saying, would you want this to be a permanent fixture in your community? That's amazing. I, I'm just kind of taking it all in. I, I got a, a few questions that stem from this. How do you impact change? For me, change starts with me. So I, and what I mean by that is I could have all these hopes and desires and dreams to change the world and change my community. But if I'm not changing myself, then none of it matters. And that goes for anyone listening. We could say we want change. Well, change starts with us. It starts with us individually me taking responsibility for my shortcomings, my failures, my flaws, but also taking responsibility for my strengths and my abilities and my power, and my voice. It's me showing up and using my voice for good. And so that's how you impact change. You use what you have and you don't downplay yourself. It's really prideful to say, I'm not good enough or I don't have enough. People think that's humble, right? That's false humility. That's fake humility. 
right? Real humility is using your strengths, your gifts, and using it for someone else. And then the other thing I wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned all these athletes, and, and listen, you can get someone, you can have a great idea, uh, but it's not easy to get that many people to buy in in the way you did. I mean, it wasn't just, hey, can you show up or record a 10-second video? It's like, hey, like, let's actually work together to make a difference. I mean, you got commitment out of these guys. And I don't think that happens without relationships and without leadership. I think, you know, and those two things sometimes are separate. Sometimes they're uh, they're together. What is important for you in relationships, whether it's relationships with teammates, relationships with friends, with the random person on the street, what what is important to Sam Acho about relationships? I didn't know, people don't realize this, I didn't know seven out of the ten guys who showed up to that event 36 hours later. I knew Mitch Trubisky because I played for the Bears, Allen Robinson because I played for the Bears, I, and I knew Austin and Tyler, so I knew, I knew four out of the ten. But the other guys I didn't know, but based off relationships I had, not with them, but just with people. One lady, she was our, our director of community relations for the Bears. She happened to work for the Blackhawks beforehand. So she reached out to her Blackhawks contacts, and that's how the Blackhawks people showed up. Somebody else was a, a team psychologist for the Bulls. I, I didn't know anybody on the Bulls. I knew her. I said, hey, is this something your players would be interested in? And it was based on that relationship. So oftentimes, talk about relationships and impact. People talk about networking and building your you know, list, client lists and followers. It's not about that. It's about loving people well. And people who oftentimes may not be able to provide anything for you. You know, Wendy Borlabi, the sports psychologist for the Bears, she wasn't providing anything for me, but we had a relationship. Same with Megan Bauer from the from the from the the, the Bears. You know, Wendy was with the Bulls. We didn't we didn't, it wasn't like I was trying to get anything from them, but we just we had a relationship and that opened up a door. So I think oftentimes when I think about leadership, I think leadership starts with relationships. Well, there you go. Episode 59 of the Justice Set Conversation with the guy I will always know as Sam Iacho. Uh, you might know him as Sam Acho. SamAchoBook.com is really what you need to know. That's the website to go to to get a copy of his book, Let the World See You. It, it really is uh, inspiring stuff. His story uh, is inspiring. And as I mentioned at the beginning, a lot of people talk the talk. I don't know anyone who walks the walk better than he does. And hopefully you got a taste of that through this conversation. Well, thanks again for tuning in. We'll have more episodes coming up here on this channel. Would love for you to subscribe, comment, like, share the link, uh, browse the channel for more content. Uh, It would really mean a lot. Uh, Again, samachobook.com to get your copy of his first book, Let the World See You. Until next time, stay safe, be healthy. We'll talk to you later.